this morning, and we want to turn to Matthew chapter 24 as we continue our series, The Endgame, Final Rescue. And the title of this message this morning is Until Jesus Comes, and you can be uh, taking a little few notes in your bulletin or worship folder as well. Well, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> All right, thank you very much. I'm glad you asked that. If Jesus were to come back today, how would that change your life? You don't have to answer that. Hypothetically, same. But let me ask you a more important question, maybe. If Jesus were to come back this time next year, how would it change your life? Because you wonder why, as we looked at two things last week, number one, Jesus is coming back again. Number two, we don't know when it is. Now, why would Jesus do it that way? Well, he's coming back again to give us hope and all the other reasons that we mentioned last week. But he, he really doesn't tell us the times and seasons because he wants us to make every decision today as though he is coming back tomorrow and make every decision today as, as though he was coming back next year. In other words, he wants it to change our life. And so as we're looking at the passage this morning, we're going to pick, pick things up. I'm going to look at three things. Number one, what Jesus, what, what we already said, I should say, what we have already said, because some of you here were not here last week, right? And others didn't understand a word I had to say. And so we're going to go back and review just a little bit. And then what shall we see? In other words, when Jesus does come back, the next event to happen, what is that going to be? And secondly, What's it going to look like? And then thirdly, and the most important question that we're talking about this morning, how should we live? How should that really change our life? Well, let's look at it. First of all, he asked the question in chapter 24, verse 3, and he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And then in verse 36 of our passage today, says, but concerning the day, that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So even when Jesus was here on earth, God in his sovereign will and wisdom decided not to even give the day and the hour. Jesus surrendered that, knowing the exact time that he would come back again. However, Jesus said, there, you will have times and seasons. And he gave seven different, seven or eight different prophecies. And he says, this is what's going to happen before things happen again. And he says, or I come back again. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name. And then he begins to mention all the things. He talks, talks about religious deception. In the last days, this is going to happen. Religious deception, false doctrine, false teachers. Then we said there's wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes. And we went over how more earthquakes have happened in the last, uh, really, 10 years than the previous recorded hundreds of years even before that. Then the persecution of the church, the apostasy, the falling away of the people of God and the church and the doctrines. Crime will be on the rise because the Word of God is not going to be on the rise. It's going to be on the decline as far as people preaching and listening to it. And then finally, in verse 14, the gospel will be preached in the entire world. Now, a couple of things that we said about these seven signs. And we said this. Number one, 
We said they're going to be prevalent in the last days. Verse 8 gives us a key. But these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, keep in mind, this is really describing the book of Revelation. The last three and a half years, when you open up the book of Revelation, it talks about the church, it talks about the seven churches, and then it gets immediately into the throne room in heaven. And they cry out, who is worthy, who is worthy to take the scroll? And the Father's sitting on the throne. And the angels are crying out, there's no one worthy, there's no one worthy. And here comes the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus Christ takes the scroll from the Father's hand. And within that scroll are the contents of what will happen in the last days. And we can, we can understand the seven seals. There's seven seals in the scroll. How do we know nothing's happened during the seven seals? That this is a table of contents. Because in chapter 7 it says, he says, Hurt not the earth seen of the trees until the servant of God, servants of God are sealed upon their foreheads. And so until that happens in chapter 7, nothing's happened yet. But we find a table of contents. And here we find these things happening in that table of contents. And finally, with the seven trumpets and the bowls of wrath being poured out, those are the actual things happening. He said, there's seven seals. Conquest. Well, last week they fell off, and now I can't get them off. Conquest, war, famine, death, hell, martyrdom, and the great day of his wrath. We can find seven seals, and when, that, when those seven seals are broken, what happens then? The scroll is then open, and then we see all the things that are happening in the book of Revelation. This correlates right here with what's happening in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus is describing what's going to happen in that last three and a half years. Now, I want you to notice something here that's very important in verse 32 because he comes back to it. And when you look at verse 32, you can think, well, wow, if, if, if this is in chronological order, it makes no sense at all. But it's not. Matthew is not about a history. He's not a history buff. That's Luke. Luke is the historian. Here we find Matthew describing how Jesus said it. And here's how Jesus said it. He said, first, I'm going to describe to you how it's going to be. Then I'm going to go back and give you a kind of a different type of description. Then I'm going to go back and tell you a parable. Then I'm going to go back again and tell you another parable. So he's explaining things over and over and over again. We get to verse 32, and it says, From the fig tree, learn its lessons. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. Now, he describes birth pains. And he says, now look, in the last three and a half years, all these signs are going to be taking place. Now, why is that significant for us today? Because as birth pains get stronger and stronger, as the birth take, begins to get closer and closer, the, whatever the signs are in the last three and a half years, they have to all be there during the last generation. And so we see these, these things coming. We see the birth pains. He says, now, how do you know when the child's really going to be born? How do you know it's just right there? He says this. The budding of the fig tree. Now in Israel, the leaves of the trees would die out during the winter time. And actually the figs would start budding before the leaves really started coming out. It's an unusual type of tree. And that's why with the budding of the fig tree, you could look at a fig tree from a long distance away and see the figs on them because the leaves weren't there yet. He says, when you see the budding of the fig tree, you know that summer is near. You know that it's about to happen. How do you know that? Look in verse 33. 
So also, when you see all these things, you know that it is near at the very gates. Now, here's the problem that a lot of people say. Well, you know, earthquakes, we've kind of always had that. We've had famines before. We've had wars. My goodness, there's been wars going on since the beginning of time. And so, how do you say that this is the generation because of the next verse? It says here, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. What generation is he talking about? He's not talking about the generation that he's talking to right here in the book of Matthew. He's not talking to his disciples. He's talking about the generation where he comes back. All these things must take place during the same generation. Now, we've had famine all over around the world. We've, we haven't had so many earthquakes. We've had apostasy before. The church is always falling away. I mean, every time mankind gets involved in the church, which is kind of all the time, unless revival comes along, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse, and something has to come along in order to bring it back to where it needs to be. We we're experiencing that right now in America. We need a revival in America to revive the church, to turn people back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find this, but the generation where Jesus is coming back, all these signs have to come together in the same generation, and we're seeing that for the first time. Some people believe the budding of the fig tree is Israel becoming a nation in 1948. Others disagree with that, but let me just say this. as a sign of the times. It certainly is a sign of the times that Israel would come together again and become a nation again. And here's the significant thing to Israel becoming a nation right now. All through the Bible, you find what, what's happening. You say, well, Israel's becoming, look in the book of Judges, my goodness. They fell seven times, and God restored them seven times. Yeah, but they were always restored because of repentance. They were always restored religiously by their faith. This is the first time that God has intervened in history to take one of the smallest countries in the world, one of the smallest groups of people in the world, and raise them up without repentance. That's significance. Significant to me. So this generation will not pass away. Then notice in verse 35, a word of assurance. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, heaven and earth, there's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. This earth is going to pass away as we know it. Revelation 21 and 22 says, God's going to create something brand new that's never known sin before. But he says the word, the word of God will never pass away. When you and I read the word of God, we know we're getting something that's from the mind of God that is true. Every word of it is true. As Jesus said, one jot, one tittle, the lowest, the smallest uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet will not pass away from this word. Nothing. Timothy says this, all scriptures breathed out from God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. John 10 says, scripture cannot be broken. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in the furnace on the ground, purified seven times. One of the reasons why prophecy is so important is not just your curiosity. It's not just a matter of, you know, you know yeah, I want to get out on all the maps and I want to get out all the books. One of the reasons why prophecy is so valuable to us is because there's no other religion in antiquity or modern day that has 
fulfilled prophecy in it. You look at the Old Testament, then you look at the fulfillment of just Jesus' prophecies about being born in Bethlehem, out of the root of Jesse, being called out of Egypt, dying on a cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A sheep led to the slaughter. Everywhere you go in the Old Testament, and there's a prophecy made about the first coming of Jesus Christ, it came true just like it was supposed to come true. And we find prophecies now looking toward the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, and they are coming true right before our eyes, and we have to say to ourselves, this is just another evidence, another proof that the Word of God is true and it's abiding forever. So that's what we know. But what shall we see? In verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but only the Father. For Verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be in the days of the Son of Man. How were those days? Now, Jesus is about to describe something to us of how it's going to be in the final days. And he says, uh, as in the days of Noah, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving a marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be in the coming of the son of man. He says, I'm going to tell you what it's going to look like. Now he's going back again. He's saying, now here's the signs of the times. Let me tell you what it's going to look like when all these events begin to take place. When the budding of the fig tree begins to take place, here is what's going to happen. And this whole passage from here on out, really in Matthew chapter 25, but all the way through 13 that we're going to be looking at today, is all about one thing, eminence. The eminent return of Christ. And even those who don't agree with me, maybe on the, uh, the pre-millennial uh, uh, and pre-trib rapture, would agree this passage is about the imminent return of Christ that it could happen at any moment. That's what it means. It could happen at any moment. And let me define that. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know. It means that it's imminent to us. We don't know. It could happen in the next 60 seconds. It may be 60 years. We don't know. It's imminent. And there's a reason why Jesus taught it that way. But this is what the passage is all about. He's saying, look, it's going to be in the days of Noah. How were the days of Noah? Well, man, it was so sinful that God sent a flood and started all over again. That's how bad it was. But notice these great sins that he's talking about. He said they ate and they drank and they married. These aren't sins. What was he talking about here? As in the days of Noah, where the, the sin was so great and the preoccupation with self was so great that they were unaware of anything God was doing. They were unaware and insensitive to the things of God. And here was Noah building this great ark and talking about the judgment of God through a flood and rain when it had never, as far as we know, we believe, at least, we don't know for sure, but we believe and many people would agree with me that there was probably no rain up to that point. There was a canopy that circled the earth. And when you think about how old people lived to be and not being exposed to the sun like we are today and other factors as well, kind of makes sense. But there was a canopy and a mist from the earth, the Bible says, coming up that watered the earth. And so you're talking about water coming from, from heaven. I mean, what are you talking about, Noah? You're crazy. You're building this big ark. You're claiming you're going to put... Uh, animals on it, and they just ignored basically the preaching of Noah. 
Why? Because of their sin and preoccupation with their own life, they begin to live the life that they wanted, unaware that something was about to happen. Again, this is describing the imminent return of Christ. Now, last week we went over this uh, little chart, and I'll review it with you real quickly. It all started with creation. We have an Old Testament period, the cross, the church, the church age that we're in right now, the rapture of the church, seven-year tribulation, and we said that the first three and a half years of this was going to be uh, a pseudo-peace. It's going to be an interim time. Now, you can just imagine the rapture of the church and what's going to take place and the upheaval of the rest of the world. It's going to take about three and a half years, according to the Bible, that abomination is going to take place of desolation in verse 15 where the Antichrist begins, does something so irreligious and so against God and declares himself to be the Messiah that it begins the last three and a half years. Then we have the actual second coming of Christ, and there's a difference. The rapture occurs. The Bible says we're going to meet him in the air. The second coming, he's going to be landing here on the earth on the Mount of Olives over in Jerusalem. Then the, the new heaven, the new earth, and finally all of eternity wrapped into one. Now, there's different views of this chart. For example, some people will put the rapture later. Now, when I mention the word, I'm going to mention some um, long words here just for a moment, but I'll explain them. Premillennial reign of Christ means that we believe Jesus is coming back before Revelation 20, which is the millennial thousand-year reign of Christ. Most people who would believe the Bible probably to be literally would, would lean or believe this, not all, but most of them in our day and age would believe this. This is sort of what is happening right now. And then there's, there's a couple of different versions of, of really what we're talking about, the rapture of the church. Some believe that it's premillennial and post-trib. That is, the rapture is going to occur after the tribulation period, that you and I as a church will go through that time. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you, in the last 20 years, that has taken hold of a lot of evangelical Christianity. The pre-mill, pre-trib view would be that, yes, all the tribulation and all that's going to happen before the millennial reign, just like the post-trib people. But the rapture of the church is going to happen before the tribulation begins to start, and then uh, it's, going to, it's going to cause all this chain of events that's going to take place. Now, I would agree with John MacArthur, and I'll maybe add some things to this as well, but really, there are reasons why I believe in a pre-trib rapture. Now, it'd be easier to go along, I guess, with the rest of the crowd, but I believe in a pre-trib rapture, number one, because there's no mention of the church after Revelation 2 and 3. There, there's just no mention. I know there's a, the, the, you know, post-trib people would say, well, there's a reason for that, and they would give a good reason. But then secondly, there's no instruction to the church on how to endure or prepare for the tribulation. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere of any, anywhere in, in Scripture where it says, now you're going to be going through this, and this is how you are to go about uh, doing what you're doing in order to endure it. Then, thirdly, if the tribulation is after, the rapture would seem needless. And what John MacArthur would mean by that is that what you would have was the, the rapture of the church would be caught up, and then almost immediately, almost immediately and time-wise, we would come right back down to the earth. We'd meet him in the air, come right back down on the second coming, and come back to earth the way the Bible says. 
In fact, in John 14, 1 through 3, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you where I am there, you're going to be also. Well, it, it talks about a home that we're going to be there for a while. It's not we're going to be up, back down, and then new heaven and new earth almost, uh, almost immediately. And then, to me, the biggest thing is this. If you, have, you don't have a pre-tribulation rapture, and if you disagree with that, it's okay. I mean, there's a lot of different other beliefs as well. But in a, if you don't have a pre-tribulation rapture, you don't have an imminent return. Uh, you just don't. For example, the Bible says in Daniel 12 that there's going to be three and a half years of tribulation. Three and a half years of that interim period, then three and a half years. Now, if you believe in a, the problem is if you believe in a post-trib or even a mid-trib somewhere along the line, that's another belief. There's not, not too many people are following today. But if you believe it's at, at the end, then you would know when he's coming back again. You could count the days. Well, here the Antichrist decided that he would become uh, the, the Antichrist or the Messiah. He declares himself to be the Messiah. Then the Bible says 1,290 1, days later, Jesus returns. Well, then you would know. You would know when it's going to take place. But the imminent return of Christ is there to hold, and we'll get to this in just a moment on how we should live, is there for you and I to hold ourselves accountable to the Lord. The Bible says, but you do not know uh, I don't want you to be informed, Paul says. But those who are asleep, they, they may um, not grieve as those others uh, do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him. Uh, you know, the thing is about the uh, ESV, it's just hard sometimes when you've memorized it in another, another version. Doggone it. Read it for yourself. Let me try, can I try this again? All right. Blah, 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 blah. No, no. Oh, here we go. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, but about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the cry of the command, and the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, how is it going to be? Well, I want you to see in verse 40. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. That's what it's talking about here in 1 Thessalonians. How is it going to be? It's going to be so sudden. The Bible says like a thief in the night. In fact, one of the illustrations we're about to go over talks about a thief coming in. Are you going to be ready for the thief to come in and steal your goods? No, but if you knew when the thief was going to come, you would be prepared. You'd be prepared. It's like a thief in the night. Suddenly it comes. And how will we know the rapture has occurred? Well, there'll be two flying a plane. One will be taken and the other left. There'll be 
people driving on I-4. Some will be taken and the others left. Can you imagine the catastrophe there? You'll be in the hospital and a nurse will be going through the, the, all the bed babies and suddenly they're all gone and she'll be remaining. That's how it's going to be when the Son of Man comes back. It's going to be all of a sudden, it's going to be gone. And the Bible says that those who have heard the gospel before God is going to send them a strong delusion where they won't, they, they'll believe the lie. I mean, my goodness, don't you know that people are going to be willing to believe? I don't know, outer space, somebody from an alien came and took all the good people. Could be anything. All kinds of explanations that you're going to hear from the news. And yes, that will be fake news. <laughs> it will be. Are you going to be left behind? Are you going to be left? As we look at the last point, that is the point. How we should live. First of all, the Bible says in verse 42, you be alert. I mean, how do you watch? The Bible says to be alert or to stay awake. It means to watch. Then you find in verse 13 of chapter 25, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So you need to watch. You need to pay attention. How do you do that? First, be alert, for the time is uncertain. Verse 42, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in part, in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. While you're just going to be living your life. You're going to be going to those little league games. You're going to be going to work. You're going to be going to church maybe. You're going to be doing life as normal. And suddenly Jesus comes back. Be alert. It's primarily here talking about our salvation. Be alert. Be ready. Be watchful. Because you don't know when Jesus is going to come back. My wife visited our daughter a few weeks ago. And she's always telling me, and if I can just share this, <clears throat> I hope I can. <laughs> I didn't ask permission, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and she tells me something. Well, I'll be back, I don't know, Friday or Saturday. In this case, it was either Friday or Saturday. Well, in times past, it's always been Saturday. Okay, and uh, I'm sitting there and uh, in front of the television on a, on a Friday and uh, taking a break. I think I, you know, went off and played golf with a couple of you guys that day. You know, Pam's gone, so I go play golf, you know, that kind of thing. And so I'm sitting there just, you know, really dead and uh, about half asleep. And I hear someone coming in the door and I jump up. Who's there? You know, and she says, it's me. And I thought. What day is it? You know, I'm half asleep. And you say, well, that's okay. Hey, she's back a day early. Well, it was good, but it is not so good. Because the kitchen was still in a mess. <laughs> the clothes had not been washed. There were papers laying in Coke, Diet Coke cans everywhere. I always, I know when she's coming back, and so I clean everything up before she gets back. Right before she gets back, you know. And, and now, all of a sudden, I was caught. Well, if I'd have known, I didn't, if I didn't know, if she said, you know, I'm going to visit Lauren, I don't know when I'm going to be back, I would have been cleaning up every day. <laughs> Not that she makes me do that, but I just think it's a good thing for us guys to do that, don't you? <laughs> Ladies, don't you think? And, uh, but I was caught. 
I, w- I was caught unaware because I didn't know. So he contrasts this. Now, are you ready? Are, are you watchful? Jesus has given you grace in the fact that he has not come back at you as yet. And the, and the first person, that, the next person maybe that gets saved, that completes the body of Christ, that's all it's going to take for the rapture of the church to take place. Will that be you? Notice, secondly, be accountable for the time will come. Verse 45, he contrasts a guy could go two different ways. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. What's it talking about here? There's a place in the Bible in Luke where Jesus said this. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? If you have not been faithful in which is another's, who will give that which is your own? What's it talking about here? It's saying that we're servants, that we're doulos, slaves to God. We're we're stewards. And a steward is a manager of of God's household or possessions, is a manager. Now, God has given you the gospel. What are you doing with that? God's given me certain, uh, maybe money. What am I doing with that? God's given you and I certain talents. What are we doing with that? It's circling here around the judgment seat of Christ because in what the Bible we refer to as the Bema judgment or the judgment seat of Christ, you and I as believers will stand before God and he's just going to ask us one question. What did you do with your stewardship? What did you do? Did you waste your life? Did Did you use your talents on yourself to make money, but not really serving the Lord. What did you do with the gospel? You're responsible for the gospel. It's the judgment of of Christians that are going to take place. You and I will always have our our sins forgiven by the grace of God. However, this is talking about the beam of judgment. Now, notice what it says here. He said, you know, what you have right now on earth is not yours. It's not yours. You're going to give up all your talents. All your gifts, all your money when you die. But if you are a good steward when you get to heaven, you're going to have that which is your own. He says the faithful steward, the faithful servant of of mine is going to have things. Why is it going to be ours? Because we're going to have it forever. We'll never give it up. He said that's one steward. But he says also, verse 48, but if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, boy, it talks about bad stuff here. Things where it would be easy just to kind of skip over, but let me remind you of something. Let me remind you of something. Without... The judgment of God. There is no justice. In verses 50 and 51, it talks about this. And then verse 20, or verse 30 of the next chapter. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry um, in verse 46 of the next chapter. And these, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, what if there were no judgment? Would there be any justice in the world? No, there'd be no hope for the world if there were no judgment. What about the sex traffickers right now and those who get away with that? 
There'll be no, just, no bringing them to justice. What about Hitler? What about Castro? What about Stalin? What about the people that are evil in this world? What about the mass killers? They'll never be brought to justice. And Jesus is saying, beware, I'm coming again, and so that will change your life. You be on the alert. You live an accountable life. And so you will not know when Jesus is coming back again. So whether it's going to do for you, well, I want to be where I need to be when Jesus comes back. I don't want to be in a place where, where God, I'm going to be embarrassing to God. I want to be doing something that I'm going to be embarrassing to myself and to God when I go to heaven. There's an accountability here. He says, be on guard. Live out your true heart. Don't become lukewarm because if there is no judgment, then there's no hope for the world. But there, if, there's, if there is judgment, what hope there is there for us? And that brings me to my last subpoint in your outline. Be assured that your salvation is real. In the next part, I won't have time to read these this morning. The parable of the ten virgins, a wedding custom the, the bridegroom comes and he's met by these 10 bridesmaids and they have, it's, it's sometime, usually at night, and they go out and they meet him and, and take him to his quarters and then they, they of course, leave. Ten, 10 virgins, it says. All of them have lamps. Only five of them have oil. Oil is the representation here of real salvation. On the outside, they all look saved. That's the parable. But on the inside, only when you have the real stuff. Only when you have the power of God's spirit and you've been forgiven of your sins. Be assured. The Bible says, whosoever, I write these things to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Boy, eternal, eternity just is too long to be wrong. And I've shared with you before, being at the University of Georgia and being out on this lawn and this guy from one of the campus ministries looks at me and he says, he probably just asked everybody this, not just me, but Dwayne, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? Question that changed your life. That puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? Or if Jesus were to come back today, do you know for certain that you would be raptured up with the Lord? Do you know that? The Bible says you can know that. How do you know that? It says here, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. What hope is there for us if there is a judgment? It's amazing to me as I look at this passage. There's three and a half years of tribulation. Jesus lived for three and a half years. The Bible says that in the, in the last days there are going to be earthquakes, and when Jesus died on the cross, the earth quaked. The Bible says there are going to be famines in the land. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, I thirst. Could it be that what God was trying to tell us is that Jesus Christ took on our judgment for us? What hope is there for me? The hope that is there for me is that by the grace of God, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me. That's our hope, that we've skipped the justice uh, part of it altogether. The judgment is upon the Son of God who died on the cross for us. So you've got another year to live. You've got another year before Jesus comes back again. How is that going to change your life? Because that's what the passage is all about. Jesus Christ is coming back. We don't know when he's coming back. 
It's imminent. It could be today. It could be right now. It could be right, right, right now, this moment. Someone in this church is going to, even before I pray, reach up to heaven and say, oh, God, save me. Boom, that's it. The last person to complete the body of Jesus Christ, to complete the church, and it's over. The day of grace is over. But the good news is the day of grace is still here for you. God has waited. Maybe he's waiting for you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning with no one looking around, the quietness of this moment, I want to invite you today to pray a prayer with me. If you really mean this prayer, I believe that Jesus will assure you of your salvation. Would you pray with me right now? Lord God, if I've never been saved, I pray that you would save me now. I open up my heart. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Help me to look to you as the God of my life. Help me to follow you. I'm all in. Help me to follow you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.